Beanbag Studios presents Nine Stories Up, a short-form narrative podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Piermont. In today's episode, Pack Bell, there is one solitary swear word. If this is a problem, I'm not quite sure what to tell you, but it is well identified in the episode, so you can quickly hit pause if they are younger ears. My father's father died in 1968, about eight and a half years before I was born. He had already been old when my dad was born in 1951 and had smoked his whole life. My grandfather spent most of the 1960s very, very sick and, and basically in declining health for that whole decade. The other thing of note about my grandfather was he was a New York Giants fan. I don't mean, I don't mean Big Blue, the football team, although he did root for them. I mean Orange and Brown, the baseball team that, that now play in San Francisco. I imagine it broke his heart when the Giants and the Dodgers left New York City for California in the late 50s. And his heart had already been broken by the fact that my father and my uncle had become Yankee fans due to the magnetic appeal of Mickey Mantle. Of all the baseball cards and other memorabilia that my father and uncle had collected that my grandmother eventually threw out, just like everybody else's mother around that time, the only artifact that survived were two unused tickets for the very first Mets game ever played in the Polo Grounds. The Mets started in 1962 as a gift, if you will, to Giant and Dodger fans. That's why the Mets wear orange and blue, besides those being the colors of New York State, I guess. But anyway, my grandfather had tickets to watch the Mets at the Polo Grounds, and just as he had season tickets to watch the Giants at the Polo Grounds. But as the story goes, he was too sick to go to that very first Mets game. So the tickets stayed there unused. And my father eventually, I think, framed them and was keeping them for me because I would be interested in, in things like that. My father carried on the success of his father in making me a diehard, ravenous baseball fan, which I've been to this day in all my life. My father improved on the failures of his father by not taking any chances in indoctrinating me all things Yankee from the time I was born. There was no choice in the matter. The Mets, when I was a kid, were actually better than the Yankees in the 1980s, but that didn't matter because it had already been imprinted in my little soul that I was a Yankee fan. I remember when I was a kid, I told my dad a joke. I said, hey, Dad, what's God's favorite baseball team? He said, what? I said, the California Angels, get it? He said, that's very funny, but you know that God roots for the Yankees, right? I don't remember if this just started from being a baseball fan or built up as I lived away from New York and had to go to other baseball parks to watch baseball or the Yankees. But over the years, I developed a appreciation, connoisseurship, if you will, for ballparks. To give you an idea about this, when I graduated college, most of my friends went to Europe to backpack for a month and find themselves before they started work. I drove around the U.S. visiting baseball parks. And what was even cooler about that was I graduated the summer of 1998, which any baseball fan can tell you was a great year to be completely engrossed in Major League Baseball, traveling park to park, 
seeing McGuire two or three times and ending your trip getting an apartment in Chicago where Sammy Sosa played, the whole time being a Yankee fan as they won 114 games that summer. I counted that I've been to games in 21 of the 30 major league cities. So a few years later, after I was all grown up, I was working in San Francisco and it was the first season of the Giants new ballpark called Pac Bell Park. The Giants used to play at Candlestick, which was I guess somewhere south of San Francisco. I had never been to it, but Pac Bell Park was right downtown, right off the Embarcadero, right next to the bay. What had happened was in the 70s and early 80s, all the stadiums they built were kind of like almost communist in their utilitarianism. And they were very, they called them cookie cutter parks because they were very symmetrical, right field to left field. They were built in the middle of nothing so they could have a lot of ample parking. And in 1994 or 1993, somewhere in there, Baltimore Orioles built a new stadium downtown and kind of wedged it into a neighborhood that was kind of an abandoned warehouse type neighborhood. And they built it with all kinds of crazy weird dimensions and crazy weird quirks that baseball stadiums used to have, like the polo grounds. That was like 200 something feet down the lines and then almost 500 feet to center field. Now old ballparks were built wherever they could get the land, wherever these sort of swashbuckling entrepreneurs that own these teams could build them. So the dimensions were a function of fitting the park into the city. So these new new ballparks, some were still built out in the middle of nowhere, like the one in Texas in Arlington, has all these quirky dimensions, but is basically built in a in an empty field. Pac Bell does a terrific job of being built right up against the bay. So there's a walkway in right field that you literally look over and there's water there. So guys can hit home runs into the bay at Pac Bell. Now this has been replicated in other places because it was so cool when this came out. The other thing about Pac Bell is as you look out of left field, you see the Bay Bridge extending over to Treasure Island and eventually to Alameda, which is a really neat throwback if you think about it because the polo grounds were across the river from Yankee Stadium. Now it's a longer walk to Oakland, but I thought it was a nice, a nice callback to, to their history of all the great places there are in this country to watch a baseball game. Pac Bell is the only one that can almost be described as breathtaking. I was so excited to, to get a chance to watch a game there. But what was crazy was it almost didn't happen. See, it was a Friday night, and my girlfriend was flying into San Francisco the next morning from Chicago to meet me for the weekend. So I had a night to kill. And I wanted to see this ballpark because I knew she probably didn't want to go to a game that didn't involve a team that I cared about or otherwise. And this was the opening weekend of Pac Bell, so it probably would have been hard to get actual seats. I just figured I would try to scalp a ticket or get standing room. So I wasn't too worried. I checked into my hotel. I started walking down the Embarcadero because I grew up in New York City. I knew how to handle this. 
what was going to happen is about four blocks from the stadium, I was going to see someone who was going to ask me if I need tickets. And I was going to say, I need one. And because I was really only there to see the ballpark, there was no need to get there in the first inning. So, if the game's already started, the price of tickets drops. Because scalping goes by supply and demand, just like any other business. So I was walking. I saw a gentleman kind of walking against me as, as we could sort of see the ballpark, but it was still a few blocks away. And he was like, you going to the game? And I was like, yeah. He said, you need tickets? I said, yeah, I might. I might. He goes, uh, I don't know. I got a box seat. I don't know. 20 bucks? Now, I was a young professional with a lot of disposable income. So 20 bucks to go to a ball game was slam dunk. No thought. That's a win. I was prepared to pay 50 to 100 that night minimum to get in this first weekend. And the face value on the ticket was probably somewhere in that neighborhood. And it was a great seat. So, hand the guy, got my ticket, started walking to the game. Proud of myself. Very, very happy with myself and how, how slick and street smart I was. So I walked into the, into the place where the turnstiles are to go into the game. Went to hand the guy my ticket, and I was expecting him to tear it, give it back to me, and say, enjoy the game, because that's how it went at Yankee Stadium. Well, he takes the ticket, and he rubs it against a scanner in the turnstile, almost like at the, I guess at the subway or something like that. And the thing beeps a weird beep back at him. And he tries it again, tries it again, and, and he says, hey man, this ticket's been used already. And I was like, what? It's been used. It's complete. He said, no, it's been used. I said, aren't you supposed to tear it? Why didn't you tear it? He said, souvenirs. Now, I'm not one to swear when I'm telling stories, but that was some bullshit. I walked back around the corner to the ticket window and asked if they had anything left. Standing room. She said, yes, we have like four tickets left. And I started telling her what happened. And the lady said, well, you shouldn't be scalping tickets. Uh, and I couldn't, I had, I had nothing else to say. I just thanked her for the life lesson, walked in and scanned my standing room only ticket, and was thinking to myself, I was either going to scalp or get something standing room. I just happened to do both. I went into Pac Bell, enjoyed the game, soaked it in. Gave you those nuggets about what the ballpark was like that opening weekend, and all was okay. But as I walked around the stadium, having a few of those $6 craft Bay Area beers they were selling, which I know sounds like a bargain now, but it seemed like a lot in the year 2000. But I started thinking a little bit more about what the guy at the ticket window had said to me, that it was a souvenir. I mean, what was so bad about a ticket stub as a souvenir? I saved just about every ticket stub I ever got for big games or small games or games I wanted to remember or concerts. What was wrong with a ticket stub? A ticket stub, because it was torn, literally meant you were there. That's what a ticket stub shows. That's why it's torn. The experience is built into that tear. It's worn like something happened. And the converse of that, then, makes my grandfather's Mets tickets, I think, all the more powerful. 
because they weren't worn like that. That didn't happen. That couldn't happen because he was sick then. But what they say is that something hasn't happened maybe yet. And maybe this is because I've watched the movie Field of Dreams 1400 times in my life and I still always stop on it whenever I run into it Saturday afternoon or whatever. But what if there was a place where those unused tickets, because they're unused, because the experience hasn't been had, could be honored? What if there was a place where I could bring those unused tickets and go to the game with my grandpa? But I guess now that you can't tell with a ticket whether it's been used, whether it hasn't, whether that experience was experienced, or whether it's just waiting there for some other time, place, or dimension, I could imagine a scenario where I would take the unused tickets to that farm in Iowa and hand them to Kevin Costner, <laughs> and he would see that they're whole, they haven't been used, that an experience that was supposed to have been had was not had, and he would tear them and tell me to have a seat next to the voice of Darth Vader while I waited for my grandfather to come out of the cornfield to watch the, the Mets play in Iowa. I can't imagine that Ray Kinsella would ever be installing a barcode reader at the farm. And so, whatever mystical potential was held in these tickets, when you get rid of a ticket stub, that potential, to me, vanishes. For the sake of a souvenir that's not even as good of a souvenir. And I couldn't help thinking that even 30 plus years after his death, the New York Giants are still breaking my grandfather's heart. This episode of Nine Stories Up was written and produced by me, Hunter Piermont, in association with Beanbag Studios in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Our theme music is Short Stories, written and performed by the great Harry Chapin, licensing graciously provided, courtesy of Warner Chapel Music. Our cover art is by Jack Aguirre. You can see more of his portfolio on Instagram at colt underscore NYC. If you have a story to tell or want to provide feedback, we can be reached on the major social media platforms at the number nine stories up or our email address, the number nine stories up at gmail.com. We ask you be gentle in your responses as we are not doing this to win a Peabody or create generational. Since the original writing of this episode's content, the San Francisco Giants have actually won the World Series three times, more than the New York Yankees. So I guess somewhere, wherever my grandfather is, he had the last laugh, at least to this point.